Pico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about a proposal to regulate thousands of PFAS chemicals as a group. That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines. As reported in the Los Angeles Times, the Trump administration has lifted a major hurdle for development of a massive gold and copper mine in the wilds of Alaska, despite fears that it will poison the world's largest sockeye salmon run. Pebble Mine, which would become an open pit the size of almost 500 football fields at the headwaters of Bristol Bay, has long been opposed by environmentalists and commercial fishing industry. But in a final environmental impact statement last week, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers concluded that the mine would not be expected to have a measurable effect on fish numbers or result in long-term changes to the health of commercial fisheries. This ruling was expected because the Trump administration favors exploitation over conservation. Because the mine would be located in a remote area, the first step would be to build roads, which are anticipated to cost as much as a billion dollars. The likely outcome of the ruling is that there will be little development until after the U.S. election. Even after the world's largest economies adopted the landmark Paris Agreement to tackle the climate crisis in late 2015, governments continued to pour $77 billion a year in public finance into propping up the fossil fuel industry, according to a report released recently. The report from Oil Change International and Friends of the Earth focuses on financing for oil, gas, and coal projects from members of the Group of 20, The G20 represents the major economies of the world. Although U.S. President Donald Trump began the one-year withdrawal process for ditching the Paris Accord in November 2019 after years of threats, other G20 nations remain committed to the agreement, which aims to keep global temperature rise well above 2 degrees Celsius and further limit it to 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2100. Senior international policy analyst Kate DeAngelis said, quote, Our planet is hurtling towards climate catastrophe, and these countries are pouring gasoline on the fire to the tune of billions. We must hold G20 governments accountable for their promises to move countries toward clean energy. They have an opportunity to reflect and change their financing so that it supports clean energy solutions that will not exacerbate bad health outcomes and put workers at greater risk. 
Together, Representative Ilhan Omar, Democrat of Minnesota, and Senator Bernie Sanders, Independent of Vermont, introduced a bill that would end corporate bailouts to the fossil fuel industry. The End Polluter Welfare Act would close tax loopholes and eliminate other federal subsidies for the oil, gas, and coal industries, a press release stated. Quote, at a time when we are dealing with the corona pandemic and an economic decline, it is absurd to provide billions of taxpayer subsidies that pad fossil fuel companies' already enormous profits, end quote, said Senator Sanders. Quote, Big Oil made more than $2 trillion in profits over the last two decades. We need more healthy safe, good-paying jobs, not more corporate polluter giveaways, end quote. According to a press release, American taxpayers pay close to $15 billion in direct federal subsidies to the fossil fuel industry, which is adding to the devastating climate crisis the world faces. The End Polluter Welfare Act would tighten dozens of tax loopholes, subsidies, and other special interest funding in the federal tax code, end energy resource giveaways on public land and waters, and prohibit taxpayer-funded fossil fuel research and development. The press release stated this would save taxpayers up to $150 billion over the next 10 years. The bill would no longer allow the current administration to use coronavirus relief funding to help struggling businesses instead of to go to fossil fuel corporations. The Zurich Insurance Company has announced that it won't renew its policy ensuring the expansion of Canada's Trans Mountain Pipeline when the policy expires on August 31st. Zurich has been Trans Mountain's lead insurer for years, and without insurance, the pipeline can't legally transport any oil. Now, opponents of the pipeline will push other insurance companies, including Liberty Mutual and Munich Ray, to follow suit. The pipeline transports tar sands oil, the dirtiest oil on the planet, to British Columbia from Canada's main oil-producing province, Alberta. According to the Financial Post, quote, all financial services companies are under pressure from environmental campaigners to cease doing business with the fossil fuel industry, end quote. Zurich's decision follows almost two years of campaign pressure and inside engagement from environmentalists and indigenous groups. Over the last decade, a powerful indigenous-led fight against the pipeline expansion has transpired. Munich Ray said it would review its contract given its new underwriting guideline on tar sands oil, which has a greater carbon footprint than conventional oil. President Trump is nominating an ultra-conservative anti-conservationist William Perry Pendley to head the Federal Bureau of Land Management, the agency responsible for managing public lands. Pendley has been acting director of the Bureau for the past year. Pendley has an abysmal record on the environment. He fought for drilling in Montana's Badger II Medicine, an important cultural site for the Blackfeet Nation, and has stymied all efforts to conserve other significant Native American sites. Pendley has a decades-long track record of advocating for selling off Western public lands to private interests, 
including for mining and drilling. He thus advocates for robbing people of their rightful access to public lands. He opposes national monuments. He has enthusiastically applauded Trump's unlawful shrinking of the Bears, Ears, and Grant Staircase Escalante National Monuments. Pendley is an avid climate denier and has called climate science, quote, political science or junk science, not real science, end quote. As for the Endangered Species Act, Pendley opposes it and has called it a joke. To top things off, Pendley has made a series of inflammatory racist statements, including the claim that, quote, Black Lives Matter began with a lie, end quote. The past decade has seen rapid transformations as countries move towards clean energy generation, supply, and consumption. Coal-fired power plants have been retired as reliance on natural gas and emissions-free renewable energy sources increases. Since 2015, 94 of 115 countries have improved their combined score on the Energy Translation Index, which analyzes each country's readiness to adopt clean energy using three criteria, energy access and security, environmental sustainability, and economic development and growth. But the degree of change and the timetable for reaching net zero emissions differ greatly between countries, and taken as a whole, today's advances are insufficient to meet the climate target set by the Paris Agreement. Sweden tops the overall ranking for the third consecutive year as the country most ready to transition to clean energy, followed by Switzerland and Finland. Top-ranked Countries share a reduced reliance on imported energy, lower energy subsidies, and a strong political commitment to transforming their energy sector to meet climate targets. The UK and France are the only G20 economies in the top 10, however, which is otherwise made up of smaller nations. China, ranked 78th, has made strong advances in controlling CO2 emissions by switching to electric vehicles and investing heavily in solar and wind energy. It currently has the world's largest installed solar power and wind capacity. The high energy consuming countries, including the US, Canada, and Brazil, show little, if any, progress towards an energy transition. In the US, ranked 32nd, Moves to establish a more sustainable energy sector have been hampered by policy decisions. Neighboring Canada grapples with the conflicting demands of a growing economy and the need to decarbonize the energy sector. If world governments don't act to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, most polar bear populations will not survive the century, a new study has found. Polar bears, which rely on Arctic sea ice to hunt for seals, have long been a symbol of the impacts of the climate crisis. As the ice melts, they lose their ability to sustain themselves. Quote, Polar bears are already sitting at the top of the world. If the ice goes, they have no place to go. End quote. Lead study author and University of Toronto biologist Peter Molnar told BBC News, the study, published in Nature Climate Change, is the first to predict when and where Arctic warming will threaten the bears' survival. It's been clear for some time that polar bears are suffering under climate change. 
it was not fully clear when to expect major declines in the survival and reproduction of polar bears that could ultimately lead to their extirpation. To answer this question, scientists looked at two emissions scenarios, business as usual and a more moderate option in which emissions peak in 2040 before starting to fall. Under the business-as-usual model, all populations of polar bears would be wiped out by 2100, except for the bears living in Canada's northernmost Queen Elizabeth Islands. But even under the moderate scenario, most populations are likely to suffer reproductive failure by 2080, the study found. Given that the life expectancy of the polar bear in the wild is about 25 years, there may be only a handful more generations. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about a proposal to regulate thousands of PFAS chemicals as a group. There is a man-made chemical. It was invented during the Manhattan Project. It repelled her. So they used it to make the first ever waterproof coating for tanks. It was indestructible. Then some companies thought, hey, why just the battlefield? Why not bring this chemical into American homes? That was a clip from the movie Dark Waters starring Mark Ruffalo. In it, a young corporate defense lawyer stumbles upon a plot to keep the dangers of a widely used chemical secret. It's based on a true story. The main character, Rob Bilot, is real, and the chemical, C8, also known as PFOA, is definitely real. PFOA is one of those thousands of chemicals known as PFAS that share similar characteristics. In a new paper, an international group of scientists from universities, health agencies, and environmental organizations say PFAS substances are so similar that they should be treated as a single chemical class instead of individually a proposal that could increase the efficiency and effectiveness of efforts to reduce the chemical's harm to human health and the environment. This is Marta Venier, an environmental chemist and associate scientist at Indiana University's O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs. She's also one of the co-authors of the paper. They've been called forever chemicals because once they are out there, it's impossible to break them down. So the best approach that we suggest, and there's scientific evidence for that, is to treat them as a group and regulate them as a group. So this approach will allow us to eliminate them promptly as opposed to taking a very long time. Man-made PFAS chemicals have been used since the 1940s to produce industrial products resistant to water, oil, grease, and stains. Some of the most famous name brands of the 20th century, like Teflon, Scotchgard, and Gore-Tex, are PFAS products. Thousands more products like cosmetics, sunscreen, shampoo, and even pizza boxes and microwavable popcorn bags contain PFAS chemicals. PFAS chemicals are also used in pesticides, medical procedures, and many other applications. They have also been found in drinking water in Indianapolis and on several military bases around the state. PFAS chemicals are a part of our lives due to their utility, but may be putting the health of Hoosiers at risk. 
Some PFAS chemicals like PFOS and PFOA have been linked to serious adverse health conditions like an increased risk of kidney and testicular cancer, increased cholesterol levels, increased risk of high blood pressure or preeclampsia in pregnant women, decreased birth weight, and decreased vaccine response in children. The CDC said exposure to high levels of PFAS also affects the immune system, potentially making COVID-19 more deadly to some people. Those health risks were found in the most commonly studied PFAS chemicals PFOA and PFOS, but it's not known definitively whether those risks are present in all PFAS chemicals. Companies are not required to test a chemical's safety before they begin selling it. That responsibility is left to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. But with thousands of existing PFAS chemicals still needing review and new PFAS and other chemicals being introduced every year, the EPA could take literally centuries to finish its review of all chemicals. While those reviews await, PFAS chemicals continue to make their way into the environment and our bodies. Veneer said that is why she and her colleagues, including the former director of the National Institute for Health's National Institute for Environmental Health Sciences, are pushing for the government and industries to manage PFAS as a single chemical class. There's approximately 5,000 individual PFAS compounds. And if we use the approach of measuring, studying both their presence in the environment and the toxicological effects of each and individual chemical, it will take forever. And we don't have the time nor the resources to do that. Veneer and her colleagues say the thousands of PFAS chemicals share similar molecular structures, environmental properties, and known and potential biological hazards. Those similarities warrant government and industry treating them as a class, like they have for some pesticides and flame retardants. One example is that of uh, the uh, polybrominated diphenyl ethers, or PBDEs, which have been treated at least in groups of chemicals. We cite in the paper pesticides, but there hasn't been a lot of the, this approach, let's put it this way, this approach hasn't been used as much as we would have liked for other compounds in the past. But in this case, it's particularly important because there are 5,000 compounds plus the polymers. So it's simply impossible to study them one by one. We all think it's time to stop allowing PFAS to accumulate in our bodies and in the environment. In this case, the health and well-being of not only us, but the next generation is at play. And we hope that legislators will listen to this message and start acting to regulate these chemicals as a group and move on this quickly so we can stop more PFAS from getting into the environment and into our bodies. We can't do anything or very little for the PFAS that are already out there because they are forever chemicals. So once they're out there, they stay there forever. But we can stop new ones from getting into our bodies and in the environment. The EPA has only recently begun to address the spread and toxicity of PFAS in the environment, but has not significantly affected the availability of the chemicals. The Obama administration established a lifetime health advisory of 70 parts per trillion for two PFAS chemicals, PFAS and PFOA. The advisories were non-regulatory, meaning the EPA could not enforce that limit. 
In January 2019, the Trump administration announced it would create a plan to assess and limit the danger posed by PFAS chemicals. The EPA's PFAS action plan was unveiled the following month, setting a broad outline of short- and long-term regulatory goals. In the approximately 17 months after, the EPA has begun many regulatory processes, including developing methods to test for 29 PFAS chemicals, adding 172 PFAS chemicals to the toxic release inventory, and proposing a rule that would add more regulations to imported products that contain PFAS coatings. Those actions have addressed only a limited amount of PFAS chemicals. Benier said when chemicals are taken off the market, it's most often not due to EPA intervention, but bad publicity. Consumers are becoming more aware of chemicals in common products, and they're influencing those markets. The Home Depot and Lowe's stopped selling rugs and carpets with PFAS, and some packaging companies decided to remove PFAS chemicals from its food packaging due to environmental concerns. The DuPont Chemical Company, which formerly produced PFAS, said it would stop using some of those chemicals last year just before its executives, and those from other PFAS producers were due to testify at a hearing by the House Oversight and Reform Committee. After congressional nudging, the U.S. Department of Defense began funding research to phase out its PFAS firefighting foam, known as aqueous film-forming foam. It has also worked to identify where the foam was used and which installations had drinking water affected by PFAS. Several former and current installations in Indiana, including the former Grissom Air Force Base and Naval Support Activity Crane, were identified as being places where AFFF was used. Subsequent water testing revealed PFAS chemicals were present in drinking water, but far below the existing health advisory levels. Navy officials also offered to test the drinking water wells of residents living outside NSA Crane. Only seven wells were sampled, and PFAS was only identified at one well at one part per trillion. While the EPA makes its way through the PFAS inventory, researchers in Indiana keep working to find the extent of PFAS chemical contamination in the environment. Benier also serves as a principal investigator for the EPA's Great Lakes Integrated Atmospheric Deposition Network at IU. She and her team will soon begin testing for PFAS chemicals in the Great Lakes. These chemicals have quickly risen to the top of our priority because there's widespread contamination, especially in the Great Lake region, in particular Michigan, for example. So we are actively updating our site with new devices to measure these chemicals. They require slightly different equipment to what we've been using, so it's going to take us a little bit of time to be completely up to speed and have a good amount of data. But we are currently measuring them in precipitation, so we, co we collect rain samples. Because unfortunately, PFAS is only the latest one, uh, the latest group of chemicals in this, what we like to call the whack-a-mole game, right? One group of chemicals goes up, the other one goes down, but it's, uh, it keeps the chemists busy somehow, but it's not necessarily good for our health or for the environment. For ECA Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for EcoReport comes from Bloomington Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co-op 
Groceries since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eager Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. There will be a croquet tournament at Spring Mill State Park on Friday, July 31st from 2 to 4 p.m. Travel back in time with a game that was popular in the 1800s when George Donaldson lived at Spring Mill. There is a limited capacity to play, so you must register by calling 812-849-3534. Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area is hosting a wildflower walk on Saturday, August 1st from 10 a.m. to noon. Meet at the Visitor Center to learn how to identify native wildflowers and their importance to the wildlife at Goose Pond before you head out on your own to explore. Bring water and wear appropriate clothing. Registration is required. Go to the Indiana DNR website to register. Take a full Sturgeon Moon hike at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, August 1st from 9 to 9.45 p.m. Learn all about the history behind the full Sturgeon Moon during this nighttime hike. You must register for this hike by going to the Indiana DNR website. Beginner kayaking will take place at the Paintown State Recreation Area of Monroe Lake on Sunday, August 2nd from 10 a.m. to noon. This is a way to enjoy wildlife and explore while social distancing. Learn basic skills in a quiet water area. You must pre-register at the INDNR website. Friends of Lake Monroe and the IU Limnology Lab are looking for volunteers to collect water samples from stream sites in the Lake Monroe watershed on Friday, September 18th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Please direct questions or concerns to Lynette Murphy at FLMBLITZ at indiana.edu. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. 
Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.